Thanks for coming to hang out with us today. Rug Up Buttercup is a podcast hosted by Deployed Love. We chat about real things that military families deal with and help you to love the call to action. So you know the drill. Rug Up Buttercup. Welcome back. We are in the middle of June and summer is already flying past in my life. So I know I'm sure it is in yours too. So I hope that you guys are enjoying your summer with your family. And we are excited to be back here. We have a special guest who is also one of our coordinators in the past and has kind of been helping out on the team recently. We have Alyssa. Yeah. Hi. Happy to be here. We're excited to have you, Alyssa. Um, so for our special guest today, Alyssa is kind of a unique, like we said, she was one of our coordinators. She's a military spouse, but she's a military spouse who is currently working on her PhD. She is a professor and environmental scientist. And so she's been doing some really cool projects for us here at Deployed Love. If you've been following the page, you have seen some of her posts, but Alyssa, can you talk to us about your experience going through being a PhD student as military spouse, as well as a professor? Yeah, sure. Well, I know it's not a new experience to kind of struggle to find programs that suit this constantly changing and evolving lifestyle. So I was lucky enough to get through both my bachelor's and master's before my husband and I got married and the real army life started. But it took a while to find the right PhD program for me. Like Ashley said, I have a background in environmental science and that's what my master's is in too. And typically with science programs, you need to be on campus performing research with a dedicated like research supervisor kind of thing. And I knew that that just was not going to be feasible if I wanted to keep our little family unit together. So it took some time and, and some research and lots and lots of communicating back and forth with different programs, but I ended up landing at Antioch University, New England, which offers, well, typically pre-COVID, it was a hybrid program. So you would do a lot of your classwork, remotely discussion board posts, writing papers, that kind of thing. And then every once in a while, you would go up to campus a couple times a semester and do what's called an intensive. So it's just a weekend or over the summer, it's a week, just kind of straight through working on your research goals and talking to your advisor and that kind of thing. And so that's what really drew me to the program. It's an environmental studies program, which brings in kind of a more holistic picture. So it talks a lot about data. And for me, it's a lot of climate analysis but we also talk about, you know, the people aspect of it and bringing in communities and that kind of thing. So that's what really drew me to the program. And then COVID hit, I was kind of about to start the PhD program as COVID was becoming a major thing. And so we ended up switching entirely to remote. And, you know, I think a lot of programs are offering that now, which is kind of, you know, we have to take as many bright sides as we can with COVID and, you know, military life too. So, you know, I think a lot of programs are starting to be more remote, which is nice, but, you know, I really, as far as finding the program that was a right fit for me and my family, you know, you just gotta do, do the research and talk to as many people as possible. Yeah. I think that's probably like the one bonus of COVID is that it's, it showed people that 
they can do the like universities and programs that they could do it all on remote. And so, cause I know like when I was looking into like just going to get my master's, a lot of the programs I wanted to do weren't being offered even like hybrid. Like I would have been totally fine hybrid. It was going to be either a, I was going to be commuting to hours or B I was going to be doing a program that wasn't really accredited. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to put all my time and effort into that type of program. So I ended up just deciding not to go get my master's in the way it worked out for me because I ended up working for my family business and deployed love. So it worked out for me, but like, I know there's a lot of people who just don't get to have a career as a military spouse because they haven't had that opportunity to go. So like my bachelor's is in sports and health sciences. So I have a, um, with the concentration of health permission. So program planning around the health aspects, really, honestly, you can't really do much with that with the bachelor's. Like you have to go on and get your master's or PhD to do a well-paying job. So like my mass, my bachelor's is just a bachelor's to me. Like it doesn't really benefit me in any way other than like my experience doing the program planning and things like that. So I do think that having those programs now align up hybrid courses and fully online now, I think are offering military spouses that opportunity that wasn't necessarily there three years ago. And it's not even just college. It's been really convenient to see that there's so much virtual options as a teacher, jobs in general, I guess, being able to be able to be portable. They've become so much more portable for military families who move. You know, we move to every two years, every three years and have to restart. And as a military spouse, we've talked about that on the show before, like having to restart, it becomes sometimes it gets to the point as older military spouses where I, we just don't, we decide to not continue our career, not continue our education because it didn't work. That's definitely a thing that's changed. COVID has changed things a lot, which is amazing as a military spouse. Yeah. I remember when we were moving from Florida to Georgia, it was like pulling teeth, trying to get people to interview me, even just a phone interview. And now it's so much more common and a lot easier to request virtual or remote interviews. You know, it just, it really has changed the landscape in a lot of ways um, and a lot of positive ways for military spouses. Yeah, I agree. So very interesting. I think if you're listening and you've thought about going and continue your education, whether even it's just going into finally getting your bachelor's, um, I definitely, there's a lot more programs out there. There's a lot more programs out there for military spouses compared to several years ago. Um, a lot more scholarships, a lot more opportunities. So take that time, research it, look at online schools, even if it's not in the same state as you're currently stationed in, look, look at those. I've even thought about going back to school. Like when they announced like FTCC here at Fort Bragg was offering free programs. I was like, oh, well maybe I'll go back to school because I do a lot of business stuff. So I was like, I haven't taken a lot of business classes. So I was like, oh, well maybe I'll go and do some business classes. And um, there's a lot more opportunities. So for sure, get out, ask for recommendations. Like where have you guys gone to online schools? Because I think that's also important too, because there are a lot of on school online schools. So you want to make sure you pick the right one for your needs as well. You don't want to pick one and then come to find out that it's just not that great of a school. People aren't going to take it seriously type of thing. Yeah, definitely ask in your military community because there are schools that are a lot more specifically military friendly. Um, They Mm -hmm. understand PCS, they understand deployments, they understand that stuff and are more flexible with like assignments being turned in. I know that the college I went to was a lot like that. Like if you were genuine with your professor and were like, hey, we have a big PCS, I am still going to finish this course, but 
things may be on a little bit of a delay, they were pretty flexible about making sure that you were still able to get credits. Well, and even as like a service member too, um, like if your service member wants to continue their education, I know my husband just graduated with his bachelor's was it what, two months ago? And the school he went was completely all online and they were really, I mean, it was kind of a pain at times because he had so many rapid deployments that he had to like just stop the class and things like that. So it took a little time to get those fixed in their system. So that way finances and stuff like that could be charged, but it's doable. It's, I feel like it's way more doable nowadays for the military families to do compared to even just three, four years ago. And I think a lot has to do with COVID. Like, I really do. I really think a lot of it had to do with them going like, oh, we can offer this program completely Mm -hmm. virtual now. Like, we don't have to have them physically in the class. Students were completely able to understand, retain, and complete the course in that aspect. So I think that's, to me, that's like the only bonus of COVID. Like, those type of things are even families working from home. Like, a lot of people work from home and a lot of their jobs still stayed as a virtual job after COVID because they're like, this person can do it. We can hire someone remotely and it's completely fine. So I think that's kind of cool. Kind of cool to see that that's happened. Another really cool thing that Alyssa is doing, and I've been so intrigued by her posts over the, if you've been following Paige, you might've seen it, her lives and stuff. And growing up military and being a military spouse for as long as I've been, I never fully thought about all of these different things that you've been talking about. Like I've always known that military bases are always kind of always been in kind of the really bad areas. Like they've always built, like I think Fort Bragg used to be a swamp. And so they've built on top of the swamp over the years. So like, obviously like when it's rains and things like that, it floods. So like, I knew that, but like thinking about all the other installations, it's really common. And so will you talk to us a little bit about your changing tide series that you're doing for deployed lab? Sure. Absolutely. I guess I should rewind just a little bit. My PhD research is focused on climate vulnerability for military communities. So it's really looking at characteristics that are specific to military communities that make them more or even less vulnerable to environmental challenges than civilian communities. So really what makes us special in terms of the climate conversation. So for this program, I am doing a service learning project and I was required to choose a partner. And I thought immediately of Deployed Love and Sabrina, my time volunteering with you guys down in Fort Stewart. And I just thought it would be such a great fit and conversation starter, especially since Deployed Love has been really ramping up like with the podcast and, you know, just really bringing resources straight to the military community that kind of cover a wide range of topics. So that's really how all that started. But then in my personal life, um, I have been stationed or we have been stationed in all these very, very climate vulnerable locations. So our first one I went to school in the Hampton Roads region in Virginia, which Naval Station Norfolk is a huge installation there. It's the um, world's largest naval base. And it's a very important facility, especially for the Navy. And it just is near constantly flooded, you know? And it was kind of this thing where I would be driving around and I would think, you know, these people have important jobs. My husband and I were dating at the time. You know, how are these very important people supposed to get 
where they're supposed to be and have these conversations, make these decisions if, you know, everything is constantly flooded. So that's really where it, where it began. And then we were in the, the Gulf coast of Florida when hurricane Michael hit and totally destroyed Tyndall air force base. You know, we were 30 miles away from that. So we've really just bore witness to all these kinds of climate events. And so that's really where the idea for this research started. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation in the military, you know, kind of higher up in the upper echelons of, okay, well, how do we prepare our infrastructure and resources to withstand these climate events? But there's no real conversation surrounding the military community itself. So how families can be resilient or be a part of building installation resilience to these climate events. So that's kind of where Changing Tides began, I guess. It's super significant. I know we talked about it before you started doing the program with us, but like the fact that most military bases are coastal, they kind of all end up being along different regions and whether that's in California where there's earthquakes or along the East coast and along the Gulf where there's tons of hurricanes and flooding and rain. And like, um, we become very susceptible to different climates. And a lot of us may have come from North or areas where this was not something we grew up with. We may get a little bit of knowledge. I know Red Cross does a lot of things on base, especially during hurricane season to try to like encourage people to get their stuff together to be prepared for what is coming. But if you're busy and life is busy, you're military, you just moved to town right before the hurricane season starts, you're generally going to skip over that information. That's stuff that you're like, oh, I'll be fine. We're inland. We're not that far away. But even in the five years I've lived in North Carolina, we've had two major hurricanes that like we were not prepared for. So I, this is very significant information. I think uh, that the military community in general needs, um, and needs to be prepared for. Yeah. And I think there's a common misconception with these things that if you are inland, you are safe. And there's a great example of Offutt air force base in Nebraska that experienced seven foot high floodwaters and had to evacuate a third of the installation all because of the Missouri River that was right next to it. They were hit by this massive cyclone storm and it just flooded and nothing that they did could stop it. It just happened and it was fast. And so that really started the conversation, I guess, within the inland military communities of, okay, well, we are not nobody is is excluded from trying to battle these things. Well, I think that's important too, because like you don't really think about it. You know, I've lived in all the different climates. I've lived on the East Coast. I've lived in Tornado Alley. I've lived in Alaska and I've lived in Europe as well. Like you didn't even think about that. Like even thinking about like how you, how that's going to affect your guys' life. And it's one of those things where I know like when anytime a huge system is coming in, like when we were preparing for it, I'm always in the back of my head thinking of like, what if this happens? What if it work doesn't normally stop for a lot of places? A lot of places, our soldiers are still at work. Sometimes they do early release. Sometimes they don't, but I'm always kind of like, what if this hits my, well, he's, you know, we live what 30 minutes from Bragg ish knowing full well that like a lot of the places he would have to drive home to get to where we are, are probably not going to be passable. And so there's always in the back of my head of like, okay, what are we going to do if that happens too? So I think a lot of families don't always think about that. Mm -hmm. How are you going to, you know, if there is a big event, 
Are you prepared? Are you not prepared? Do you have an idea of how you're going to get home if that road is closed? Like GPS isn't always going to work. You probably should always kind of have that back of your head, like routes out of wherever you work, different ways to get to wherever your loved one is as well. Right, right. And so that's a big part of what my focus in is in. So there's a larger umbrella term called environmental security. And there are two pieces to it. So it's how the military impacts the environment. And that could be through, you know, burnings, war games, that kind of thing. But then the piece where I kind of live is how the environment impacts the military. And so within that, my focus is on communities. And so a large part of that community portion is at the very least, we need as family members and spouses, we need to know that when our service member goes to work, they can focus on their very important big kid job and not have to worry about overheating because the temperature index is 105 that day. You know, we need to try and take as much off the plate as possible so that they can focus on their jobs. Mm -hmm. And so my goal hopefully is to build more resilient families in support of the service members in their position, which will in turn lead to more resilient installations. Cause it's all about the people, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't have resilient people and families and the installation is just brick and mortar, right. It's just equipment. And I think we say that all the time, like, you know, like you have a strong family, you have a strong soldier, you have a strong force. And so I love this topic because it's not something that's normally talked about. It's not something that military families are like, oh yeah, like we're living in a place where it is 105 with the heat index of 115. Like what are ways that we can support our spouse or our unit? to keep them healthy, you know, how can we keep ourselves healthy? Cause it's not just us as well. It them too. They don't want to worry about you. You don't want to worry about them type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And climate change and environmental issues, you know, there's no, there's no exclusion there. So even, you know, you can't just say, okay, we can only try and protect service members. We have to consider the community as a whole. And that's, you know, either the military community or the the broader, you know, um, community surrounding base, because I know a lot of us don't live on base specifically, you know, we just, we can't pick and choose who is vulnerable and who's not. The general consensus has to be, we are all vulnerable. And then to what degrees are we more or less vulnerable compared to each other, I guess. So what is going forward, like the idea of how we get these families to be more prepared? I know that they, it, we talk a lot about the hurricanes, but it's also, you know, winters in Alaska, that's going to be a whole other environmental change that you're not used to. So how do we get this information to families and help them to become more prepared? Well, I think the first step is just being aware of the climate you are moving to. I know it is PCS season right now. We move all over the country. I'm about to move to Kansas in the Midwest for the first time. So that, I mean, I know firsthand that it's, you know, intimidating and you have so many other things that you need to think about, but in terms of being prepared and having a plan, there's nothing like, you know, understanding the location you're moving to. It it reduces anxiety, you know, like Ashley was saying, you have that plan in place already. Um, So that's really my number one tip is just be informed about the climate you are moving to, the major weather systems or natural disasters in your area. 
and having those conversations with your unit or your SFRG or your volunteer organizations like Deployed Love, you know, we have all these places where we can gather and have these conversations and, you know, include your service members, see what they know about it. Because a lot of times they talk about these topics, but they don't realize kind of the broader implications. They think about it in terms of, well, in terms of how, you know, the broader military thinks about it. So how best to protect equipment or training time, you know, that kind of thing. But having those conversations just to get those ideas kind of out there is already a step towards building resilient communities because you're you're kind of building a network of people who are all preparing for and thinking about the same things as you are. Yeah, and I think that's significant. I think that knowing your surroundings and taking it more seriously than you probably would as you're moving there at least because you may think, oh, this area has had one hurricane in the last 10 years. It's not going to be an issue. And that is the year that it hits. Not, weather is unpredictable. And to be able to just say, oh, well, I we may go the entire time with no tornado. It's like, not, it's not being prepared. It's not having an idea of like, where do we go in case of an emergency? What do we need to have on hand in case of an emergency? Like, I know that we had to evacuate for a hurricane and I mean, we didn't know anything about it. So obviously we didn't have to evacuate, but when the, the state patrol comes to your house and tells you to evacuate or leave your social security number on your arm to find you later, you kind of do in the first time that you've ever dealt with a hurricane. So it was something that we were prepared though, because we had a box of canned goods. We had a box of our clothes, you know, we knew what clothes we wanted to bring with us. We were prepared to leave if we needed to. So knowing your surroundings and knowing what, is important to have. I mean, you may know that you want to have a generator. You may want to know, um, we learned that year, don't stock your freezer full of meat during hurricane season because the likelihood of your power going out is pretty high and you're going to lose all that money. So uh, that's that's a small little thing that you wouldn't think of, but we learned pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, preparing for things like hurricanes or other natural disasters or even, you know, smaller things, all that kind of planning and military life really go hand in hand, just in the fact that we have to expect the unexpected, you know, you just have to prepare for the worst, hope for the best, you know, and I think that case in Nebraska at Offutt Air Force Base is kind of the, the keystone example of that, you know, they had some things in place, but, you know, the floodwaters just came quickly with little to no warning, you know, you just it's, it's all things that you need to kind of think about, but, you know, and Sabrina, when you were talking about those um, preparedness boxes, you know, the Red Cross and um, the installation environmental services, they have really awesome documentation, PDFs, infographics, whatever, on things that you should include, you know, stuff for your pets and kids, medical records, you know, they push that out around whatever you know, natural, natural disaster is in your area. So hurricane season, they push it out, wildfire season, they push it out. So be on the lookout for that stuff too. Cause sometimes, you know, that's part of being informed is knowing that your installation has resources available to you. You just may need to ask the MWR or USO or whoever it is to, to try and find it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where we at Deployed Love link in between. So we'll make sure that on the show notes here, we'll have a link to the Red Cross that has that kind of information as well as we'll try to continue to have our coordinators 
um, as summer comes up, posting more about things that may happen in their areas, um, keeping people prepared. I know right now in the Midwest, it's spring is definitely tornado season. Um, so knowing when to watch for storms and what to do when storms come um, is significant information when you're moving that way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And doing the little things too, you know, like even just noticing a different way home, like Ashley was saying before, like even just those little things can add up to feeling more confident in your own resilience and your family's resilience because you are just more aware of your surroundings, right? Of the things that maybe you just keep a running tab on your canned goods and your pantry, you know, just something like that. Just the little things can really add up and reduce anxiety, which, you know, is the number one thing for military families, I think. <laughs> I would agree. Definitely yeah. is a big thing with moving and learning new things. So, um, so we talked about emergency preparedness, but there's other things that you've talked about on the page. Um, is there anything else that would be really, really great information to kind of get out while we're in a conversation talking about it, I guess? Yeah. So I've covered a few different kind of broader topics, I guess, so far on changing tides. So the first one was really just kind of orienting us and deployed love kind of around environmental security. And then I moved to installation resilience, which is what we were talking about a little bit before. So the focus is on infrastructure and maybe we should include a little bit more of the community and um, human aspect of that. So in the next couple of weeks, I'll be talking about family resilience and family vulnerability. So really talking about characteristics of a military family that make it more vulnerable to these environmental challenges than a regular civilian family. And so what I've talked about in the past is again, just educating yourself, but also trying to learn a new skill, you know, going through finance office and taking their finance courses for money management. Financial stability is a really big indicator for vulnerability, especially to environmental challenges. It kind of dictates whether or not you can be proactive because you have the finances to put something in place and plan for an event like that. And it also dictates how you react, right, to those environmental challenges. So financial stability, that's a really, really big one. And I know that all of the bases provide money management kind of courses. And I totally agree. Going back to the, like, why I said the meat in the freezer thing is because we had spent so much money on groceries and the power was out for a week. And it was just like, did we have the funds to restock? Did we have the funds to stay in a hotel for a week, which was really expensive. And we were not as financially ready as we thought we were for the emergency. And had to use our parents, you know, to help pay for some of the things that we needed at the time. Had we taken classes like you suggested or learned how to keep a savings or even just a savings that is just for that specific season. If you know that there's a fire season coming up and you're in a zone that could potentially have issues, knowing to have your insurance set up right or whatever it is so that you're not stuck in a situation afterwards where you have no money to fix the problems that have occurred. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, just starting small, having just a separate savings account or whatever it is, putting five bucks a month from your paycheck, you know, that adds up over time. And I think that's, that's something people don't really think about or plan for. And 
you know, there are resources out there that can help you like the Army Emergency Relief Fund is there. So, and I'm sure the other military branches have something similar. But if you are undergoing a hardship, you can apply for an interest-free loan in that way. So there are other avenues to go, but you know, it's really just being prepared again, like I said, learning a new skill, money management, emergency planning, or even, you know, something like gardening where you can get the kids involved, really be in charge of your own food system or sustainability. You know, even if it's just a pollinator garden or a rain garden, you know, something that gets you outside, which is good for your mental health, gets the kids involved. If you have kids, you can be outside with your dogs, you know, whatever it is, you're out there you know, just trying to take control of whatever you can take control of starting where you are. Yeah. I also think it's important to note to don't, don't let someone bully you into not being prepared for an upcoming storm. I see that happen a lot on the military spouse pages. Um, people are like, you know, what should I have? You know, should I, should I get this? Should I get this? Should I get that? Um, and a lot of people are like, no, you're fine. You know, I've lived here for three years and nothing's happened. As a person who's who has said that before and who has been in in events saying that I used to say that when I was younger and now that I'm older and I've lived through tornadoes and hurricanes, blizzards, it's better safe than sorry. Like it's better to have everything prepared. You know, water's not gonna go bad. If you have a bunch of water, you're gonna be fine. If getting a generator and having some storage of food makes you feel better do it. Don't let anyone say that it's not okay because you never know. Um, I had a friend who lost her whole house in the tornado. She was only 10 miles from where I live. It could have easily been us too. And you just have to be prepared for your, what you feel because there are going to be people who are not prepared. And then those are going to be the people who are going to wish that they were, but they may also be the ones, they're going to be the ones who are not prepared the next time, or they may be prepared next time because they've lived through that event. So don't let someone on the spouse page say you don't need that. Now, obviously I'm the type of person says like, yeah, don't stock up on milk and eggs. Cause you know, especially know your area for a area power goes out. It goes out all the time. So that might not be something you want to stock up on, which I never understood that. Have you, have you figured out why people do that in your research? I'm just curious. (laughs) No, it's, it is a funny thing Uh, around here. It's milk and bread. Yeah. I I can understand bread. I mean, bread, bread. I mean, it does go bad eventually, but I mean, I can understand having that because then, you know, you can make peanut butter and jelly. You don't have to refrigerate either of those. I can understand that that being something you're stocking up with if you don't have power, but I always thought it was funny that like cold items were out of stock right before yeah, milk going. milk goes bad yeah. so quick if you leave it out like can you uh, I don't know and it seems like almost every emergency that could happen would include yeah. your power going out and that's why it becomes an emergency so like so why funny. would you want that like you would think like the kids milks like the ones that don't have to be refrigerated like are the things that people go and stock up on yeah. yeah but it's always like the gallon milks it always and I get it because like people buy it because like, you know, trucks not getting in type of thing. Like if the power doesn't go, I mean, and that's always a possibility power doesn't go out, but trucks can't get in. And so I get why people kind of do that. Cause then there is a delay in restock, but I always get a little laugh when people go and stock up on like the most random things. Um, yeah. It's like this idea of, of scarcity. Yeah. 
right? We're like afraid of, of scarcity. But if, that's, create it. but if that's what <laughs> yeah. you do, you do you booze. Like if that makes you feel secure in events that you have a f- fridge full of milk, it may go bad. If that's what you need to do, then do it. I, I just always, I'm like, mm, like I'm going to get water. Cause at least, well, especially here, it's so hot. Like you want to stay hydrated, but I am like also the type of person where like come hurricane season, like I'm already stocking up. Like I don't go stock up when they say there's, an, there's something coming, like I already have like two cases already just there. So that way I'm not like the person who's running the store and like filling a buggy up full of water. But yeah, you have to do you. I think that's important to like do what's best for your family because every family is going to be different. I'm a wreck during storms. Like I said, I've lived through them. I hate tornado season. I hate any storm that comes through with the possibility of a tornado because they're so unpredictable. Hurricanes don't bother me so much because at least we can track those. But having friends who like literally were just sitting there watching a movie and then two seconds later, their entire house was flattened. And so it happens and it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Just having, having whatever stuff you need to make yourself feel confident in your own resilience. And that's kind of what I'll be talking about next week with families and vulnerability, you know, because families are different, you know, even just in terms of military language, you know, enlisted versus officer, there's a major change in resilience levels that go from enlisted to officer, you know, so just there's a sliding scale of vulnerability. And so I think everyone needs to just kind of look inward and kind of address their own resilience level based on their family's needs. And that's really, that's the best piece of advice I can give is just really look inward and, and try and uh, educate yourself. And I know the flip side of what y'all this that we were talking about now, as you said, how we as a military family are impacting the environment. And so I know you're probably going to go into some of that on the page, but I, I thought you we could touch a little bit on that. And I know that includes how we recycle, how we like our vehicles and how, you know, when we're PCSing, how we choose to move and different things like that. Yeah, that can be really difficult, especially when it's PCS season, because you're living off of paper plates for a while, you know, trying to eat out and get your home goods all settled. You know, it can be really, really hard. But like I said, as far as, you know, being prepared for environmental challenges, you know, that's, we can do the little things to make ourselves feel more confident. And the same is true for helping the environment as well, you know, just doing the little things, you know, swapping out for bamboo paper towels or whatever it is, you know, it's just, we can make little swaps that really don't make a difference in in the long run as far as usage goes, but they're, they're just a little step forward for helping out the environment. And like I said before, you know, gardening, getting outside, just being, you know, in touch with nature to be a little hippy dippy on here, but you know, it just, it helps for mental health. It helps for just environmental awareness. And, you know, if you have kids, they're already learning this stuff in school. So bringing it into the home is just kind of the next step. And especially I know homeschooling kind of centers around a lot of times a connection to the outdoors and self-reliance and that kind of stuff too. So to me, it seems like a natural next step to do 
just the little things and involve your kids and they can teach you something and vice versa. Yeah. And I think being part of the military was how I've learned so much about environmentalness is we Mm -hmm. were stationed in Germany and the amount of care and concern that Germans have for the environment in comparison to what we have here in the States has taught us a lot. We had to recycle. It was illegal to not recycle. Um, Mm -hmm. You would get fees and fines and they would check your trash if they saw, you know, that you were consistently putting boxes or whatever in the trash can, you would get fees. So we learned a lot there about why that's important and why you should also, we learned about, you know, taking buses and trains and saving on gas and stuff like that, just by living in a different country. So that was really cool experience that we got from being in the military that you probably don't get when you're in the States. I know here we have to seek and search ways to recycle. Our community we just moved to um, luckily does have the recycling bins, but a lot of on, even on base often doesn't have an option for recycling. Um, so that's something you may have to research when you move, like, where can I take my cardboard, my glass, my aluminum? Well, like even here, like out here in Rafer, like they stopped the recycling services to pick up. So like you used to be able to have it where it was picked up with your regular trash and they were just like, we, we just can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was just more related to like people were using it enough, probably not using it enough, but also like they just didn't have enough employees to be able to do the two rounds. And so I know a lot of people were really upset about it because a lot of people who have been stationed in other places that do require it still tend to continue to do it. But I think it is important to teach the kids different things. Like, you know, Fort Bragg does the burning of the underbrush because of all the pine needles. And so my kids are like, why are they burning? And we had a great conversation about why they're burning it, why it was important that they burn the underbrush, um, not only to help the plants grow, but to also cause, you know, in case there was a fire or drainage, things like that. So they, they were really interested to see all the little fires going along the ways. And Bragg is a huge, huge installation too. Like there's a lot of training space and they just burn the whole time. So it's like what, four months where you just see smoke in the sky. Cause they're just burning the underbrush. And it was, um, it was cool to show them why they do that. And then also show them like, well, here, this is why, cause here's a forest fire four hours from our home in the mountains because there's all this dead stuff and they don't do that in all the regions. So it's kind of cool to show them that there are things that our base is doing to help with those type of things. Yeah, the military is kind of this unexpected environmental steward. You know, I know at Fort Stewart, they manage one of the largest forestry programs in the army. You know, it just, it's so interconnected. You know, nobody thinks of the military as being this kind of green organization yeah you were like what (laughs) yeah yeah exactly but you know it it really goes hand in hand with training practices and having those um what they call buffer zones in between military training and civilian communities you know having that space to prevent you know accidents or whatever it is you know having those buffer zones tends to attract you know, different species. So it's all about ecosystem health and diversity and, you know, just kind of cascades into all these different aspects of life, just like on the flip side, you know, how the environment impacts the military and having an environmental issue kind of knock on your front door can impact and have this ripple effect across all these other regions of your life. So that's kind of the cool thing about environmental science. If I just want to plug that <laughs> field for a minute, it is so interconnected. And, you know, I think being in the military, especially you get to see so many 
different regions of Mm -hmm. the country and the world, just like you guys were saying. And it's just, it is interesting to compare attitudes towards the environment, especially in Germany. I've heard that a lot. Um, They have very specific recycling rules out there, but, you know, installations can vary just as, uh, just as widely. Mm -hmm. So I know in the Pacific Northwest at JBLM and all that kind of stuff, they have really robust sustainability programs and it's very involved. They have like a plan for 2030 or something like that to really reduce their dependence on fossil fuels. And it's like this whole thing. And so other installations have varying degrees of that depending on, you know, their mission and priorities, but yeah, it's, it's easy to get kind of bogged down in the doom and gloom of this environmental stuff, but there are these kind of beacons of light, I guess, that you can get Mm -hmm. involved in if you just, you know, if you just know where to look, if you Google your installation sustainability page, you'll find resources there and people love to talk about what they do. So ask yes. questions. I was going to say, you reach out. I mean, even on your the local fossil pages, like you can ask. I'm sure someone will know. But like, I know here at Bragg, I know that they've been doing more recently. I've seen them do more programs for youth to teach them about the local environment and the local species. And um, they just had one this past weekend. At, I don't remember who put it on. I don't know if it was through the MWR or who it was, but they had an entire day where they were out there showing all the local species and all the local foliage and all that different thing. I was like, that's so cool. What a great way for families to come out and show and teach the kids about their local space. And, and I know that's not the only place I know when we were stationed at Jay Bear in Alaska, they did a lot of the similar things as well. So look into those programs and look into your local nature parks. I mean, we have several nature parks around Fort Bragg that all do that as well, like monthly. And it's so cool that the kids can take an interest in like one recently where now the kids just point out all the different trees that they, they learned about and like how they help the environment and how you can only find these trees in this certain area. Like there are trees that I didn't know that only grew in certain areas now because of cutting them down. And so now they're kind of like, we kind of protect them. And it's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know there was different types of pine trees here in North Carolina. I thought they were all the same. So you'll learn something new. And it's really interesting. Yeah, it is. It is funny, you know, oftentimes, well, I should say in in a previous life, I was a curriculum developer for outdoor and environmental education. And so it is really funny to see, you know, these programs geared toward kids, how they draw in parents and whole families as well because the kids get so excited about it and just being outside together you know it just it's again that cascade effect where everyone benefits from this educational experience well and if kids are excited about it then it's easier to get everybody on board like I mean I don't know where you are listeners are where your kids ages are but I know from my kids they're not interested in it they're not really going to do it So having a super fun way for them to go learn about something and then we can talk about it and implement those changes in our home, they're way more willing to be like, oh, well, this helps save this or this helps do this. They're, they're way more willing to do it. And I think that's really cool to see that they're doing those programs. I'm sure that's why they're doing those programs because they know that that's what's going to happen. It's just something we all need to think about too, is our environment. I mean, this is our home. If we don't take care of it, there may not be something in the future. So we have to do what we can, right? I agree. It's kind of my life, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's, I could talk about this all day, but, you know, just 
to really emphasize starting where you are. That's my number one thing that I tell my students too, because you guys mentioned before, I'm a professor actually for Southern New Hampshire University, which is the partner school with the USL. So that's a great place. I teach military spouses and service members all the time. So if you're looking for a good school, there's a plug for that one. <laughs> but I tell my students all the time because they have to go in and pick an environmental issue that's kind of local to them that, you know, it's just doing the little things, starting where you are, learning about your local space, you know, all of that is a step in the right direction. You know, nobody's expecting you to go out one day and just have a, an entire solar roof and rain garden and rain barrels, you know, all over the place. You know, nobody's expecting that drastic of a change, but it really is about the little things and getting the whole family involved and just having those conversations, you know, with, with other people and just, I don't know, being, being aware and yeah, all that kind of stuff. I think this would be a really cool, like, segue for families like during P I mean we're in the middle of PCS season so like this is a really cool way to like learn about where you're going to like look up are you going to a plane are you going to a mountain region where are you going like what is the weather and do kind of a little segue with your kids and teach them like okay like this is what we were used to this is where we're going and I think it's also a way for them to get involved and understand the type of environment that they're going into and like what they could do to help. Like, okay, we're moving to a place where there's a lot of pine needles. We have to be careful. Like if we make a fire and things like that. Yeah. And obviously I, as I a homeschool mom, I, I advocate for that hugely on them, them doing their own research and being able to learn. And then you can bring in fun things of like, Hey, because there's pine trees, we can do zip lines. We can do you know, like, look for where the, the fun is going to come in too for your new places. So it gives you guys all a chance to kind of sit down and like, Google the area, learn about different things that are going to be in your area, learn about resources that you might be able to use. And kids like it. They really do. They like, especially in the move, they like to have some sort of control to know like where they're going. What is their neighborhood going to look like? Is there going to be tall trees? Like when we moved to North Carolina from Texas, the shock of the size of the trees and the amount of trees was like, mm -hmm. wow. Um, they were really young at the time. So it didn't really apply at the point because they're only like three, but, but it is, but even for yourself though, like even as an adult, it's, it's, it can be a shock. I mean, the amount of people I talk to who come from places that they're just like, I'm not used to being so close to the beach as well as like trees and mountains. And I'm just not used to like hurricane and tornado weather. A lot of people don't know here in North Carolina, we're on a plate. There are earthquakes, not nearly as severe as the West coast is, but people like freak out. Like, was that an earthquake? And I'm like, yeah, like we are on a major, there's a major plate here. It's not as active, but you do feel tremors occasionally. And a lot of people don't know that until like an event happens and did everyone say like, you know, you see the post. So I think it's really important. Even if you don't have kids, do those, do that little research before you go to a new installation or a new town and see what you learn. Um, and then just go with the flow. I mean, I think, I think environmental stuff is important. Like we, as our family, you know, we try to have houseplants and this year we decided to do grow a little garden and we're really proud of our two tomatoes and tiny, tiny pepper. That's all we've gotten so far, but we're really proud of them. Um, and the kids love it. Like every day they go back outside and like, how many tomatoes do we have? They don't even like tomatoes, but they're really excited that we're growing our own vegetable this year. So, yeah. yeah and I, I really want to stress too, that, 
you know, talking about this stuff, I am well aware that everybody is at different points in military journey and in life. You know, I think I've said this a couple different times on changing tides as well, but, you know, there are some families where both spouses work, one person has to stay home. You know, we have all these different combinations and reasons for choosing the way of life that we do. You know, it just, there are so many variables. And so I don't want it to sound like, oh, it's just so easy. You can just start your own garden. You know, we are, we're well aware that everybody's at a different point. And so Mm -hmm. it just like, I mean, the whole theme of this has really just been, you know, doing what makes you feel comfortable and more resilient and just trying to do your research in order to, you know, do the best for your family that you can. I think we say this on the podcast almost every time we talk about a topic resilient family equals resilient soldier, which means our, our forces are going to be stronger and more capable of doing the tasks that they're set to. So you just have to do your part. If you do your part, then, and if everyone does their part, then we should have that strong, resilient military. And that's all that we can really ask for. I mean, for families just to do their part. Don't rely on your military member to be the one that's there for the emergencies. You have deployments, you have trainings, So know personally and know with your children, know those emergency situations because you're going to end up in those situations alone and you don't want to be like, oh, well, he knew what we were doing or he had the plans because that's, that's not ideal. That's definitely a conversation you guys have to have together and have those, have those plans. That's not something like you want to, I mean, I don't think that, you know, you making the plan and then not telling your significant other, like what that plan is, you never know what's going to happen, but having those discussions are things that you should have, should be one of those discussions when you move. Okay. Hey, you know, every time you move into a new house, I mean, at least I know for my family, we talk about escape routes. Like if the house is on fire, where do you go? What do you do? Do you do this? No. Where do you go? You go to this house across the street. You go to this house across the street. You don't go back inside. Like just make that a step further and have a conversation. Okay. In case of a tornado, where do we go in this house? Which we do that here. Like in North Carolina, we move to the new house. We're like, okay, if there's a tornado and I say, go to our safe spot, where do you go? But have that conversation with like, okay, if the tornado happens while we're at work, phone towers are down, anything like that. Like, what is our plan to get you back home? Or do we have to make it to there? What is our plan? Like have those conversations and always have a plan B because plan A may not, I mean, anyone in the military should know plan A may not always work. You may need to have a plan B and a plan C have those backups. It's always better to be prepared. Weather is no joke, especially here, like in Fort Bragg. I mean, I never, I wasn't here. Was it Matthews, the one that did all the flooding? Mm-hmm. I've lived at Bragg majority of my life on and off. Never experienced something like that ever. I wasn't here, but when I, I was watching the news coverage and stuff and I was just like, this is blowing my mind because as a person who lived here 60% of my life on and off, I would have been like, yeah, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're going to be fine. And then seeing that and going like, like, how did that road even flood? Like, there's nothing near it. Like there's no water source. And it was just completely underwater downtown, completely underwater. And you just never thought about that. And no one was prepared for it. And I think power was out for like our house over a week at our house. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely something that like, even if you don't think it's going to happen, just be prepared for it. I think too, that being so entrenched in environmental sciences, I'm definitely more aware of this than a regular, normal, not nerdy person, but 
you know, with climate change, we will see more intense frequencies of, of these things. And so what will that mean for the military family and preparedness, but also what will that mean in terms of emergency response requirements for your service member? Mm -hmm. So will they be deployed to New Orleans to help with a hurricane? You know, it's, it's kind of this double-edged sword where you have to prepare your home, your insulation for whatever may be coming their way and also be ready as a service member and as a military unit to be deployed for emergency response purposes if there's an issue somewhere else that needs to be resolved. Yeah, I think um, that's important too because like that's definitely something that would happen here at Bragg. Like, you know, our soldiers would be activated to go help in another region. And it's possible that like that storm system could be coming towards us and you're going to be right. stuck by yourself because your soldiers already been deployed to go help another region. So you have to take that mm-hmm. into accountability. You know, um, we've talked about doing your research and things like that. Like, look, you know, look up your address and see if you're in a floodplain, you know, if it's flooded in the past, um, make sure you have renter's insurance. If you're renting or homes home insurance that covers flooding and all the different things because some of it doesn't cover so you have to make sure you ask those questions and just be prepared and that all you can really do is just be prepared and for the worst worst case scenario and it does seem that as we go the storms are getting more intense and more you know back to back like I feel like last year the hurricanes were really back to back there wasn't really any space between them like you see like when I I remember growing up here and like remembering like there may be one or two. And now it seems like there's like, you know, three or four that come up this way. So research, I mean, I don't know, we say this all the time too. Like anytime you PCS, like research where you're going, research the home that you're currently, even if you've been here for a year or two years or three, I feel like some people still don't know. I mean, like I said, a lot of people did not know that there were earthquakes here. And we had a couple, um, this year, a couple small tremors, and people are just like completely like what's happening like the world is ending and i'm like no it's not we're just <laughs> it's just not an active plate it's really fascinating to see that there is earthquakes on the east coast well i want to thank you for coming on here with us i know that you've been doing a lot on the page so if you guys are listening today and haven't seen any of the information make sure you're following deployed love on facebook because Alyssa will be on again tomorrow, um, as well as a couple more weeks down the road with more tips like this as well as information about how we are affected as a military family and how you can continue to be prepared. So we are looking forward to continuing to see your lives and getting to know you in the process of that as well. So thank you for joining us. Thanks guys. It's been fun. All right. Well, we will be back with another episode again later in July. July is coming up quickly, I guess. So make sure you guys are following the page. We'll have tons of information in the show notes as far as different resources for you guys. I'll be getting some from Melissa directly to get to you guys so you guys can do your research when it comes to moving and emergency preparedness. But otherwise, I hope you guys enjoy your summer and we will catch you on the flip side. So rock up, buttercup. Bye.